Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today we're going to be rebroadcasting a Facebook Live that Rabbi Wilds gave. It's a freewheeling, Passover-themed Ask the Rabbi session. He answers questions from the spiritual, like what is freedom to a Jew in quarantine in the year 2020, to the mundane, like do we need to buy a new toothbrush for Passover? So without any further ado, let's pass this over to Rabbi Wilds. Okay, so we're going to start, actually, I don't want to punish people for coming late. Um, okay, very good. So we have two questions already. Uh, the first one, Rabbi Ezra Kohn is posting that someone asked, what is the difference between Pesach and Chag HaMatzot? Wow. So Pesach means, Pasach means to pass over, and it refers to the fact that the Jewish people, um, during the plague of the worst and last plague, what was the worst and last plague? That was the plague of uh, killing the slaying of the firstborn. It says that God passed over the homes of the Jewish people. Chag HaMatzot means the holiday of Passover. Chag HaMatzot refers to also to Passover, but refers to the fact that we eat matzah. But I think what Rabbi Ezra is doing is setting me up for a rabbinic lob. So I can hit the ball out of the park because the rabbis say that the Torah refers to um, Passover as Chag HaMatzot, because that's something that we did for God, right? We were in the middle of baking bread and we dropped it when we left Egypt in a haste. And we showed that we were with Hashem and we were going to follow him into the desert and receive the Torah and go into the land of Israel. So by God, who wrote the Torah, referring to this holiday as Chag HaMatzot, he's giving us, the Jewish people, for our role, a little pat on the back. And we refer to it as Pesach, because that was God's role in passing over the Jewish homes, in slaying the firstborn Egyptian males' sons, right? He spared the Jewish firstborn males. So Passover is really our way of paying homage to God for what he did for us. And Chag HaMatzot, the holiday of Matzot, was our role and therefore God's way of uh, showing praise um, to us. Uh, so thank you so much for Rabbi Ezra and thank you for the heart. Scott Shapiro wants to know, after the first two nights of Passover, can I eat matzah? It all depends, my friend, Scott Shapiro. I don't want to get too personal, but unless you have some real medical issues, we try not to eat um, egg matzah. Egg matzah is considered not matzah. You cannot fulfill the mitzvah of matzah with egg matzah, and it actually might be considered an issue to eat, but it is there to be eaten because it's instead of uh, made with water, Right as regular matzah, it's made with juices, and therefore it doesn't have the same status. But it is there, uh, egg matzahs, and I know some people like it better. Um, if you can't stomach the regular stuff, or you're elderly and you have other kinds of gastro or other types of issues, so uh, it, it does serve a very important role for people who need it. But if you don't need it, stay away. Um, okay, let's see. Erica Wall is is is, is Erica. What an honor and pleasure to learn with you again. My cousin Nathaniel Berman came on MG trip. Heather Kahn is watching. Benjamin J. Mayer. Okay, very good one. Welcome, Benjamin. Um, Jonathan Schwartz. Okay, Lavana is asking, why do I have to sell my chametz? Excellent question. Now, you don't have to sell your chametz. Um, you do not have to sell your chametz. You only sell your chametz if you don't want to have to get rid of it. You know you're not going to eat it over the holiday. So the rabbis devised this um, opportunity 
to be able to sell your chametz. It's very, very important. I just spoke to one of the great rabbis of our generation, of Herschel Schechter. It's definitely considered a loophole. And he shared with me, he says, you know, you should tell your students that, you know, you don't rely on loopholes unless you really need to or would like to. Let me tell you how the sale of chametz thing started. It started with store owners. If you're a store owner and you have a big inventory of chametz, and Passover could put you out of business. So the rabbi said, we know technically the prohibition is to own the chametz, right? And of course, to consume the chametz. But hey, Ron Brody, hey, Benjamin Cohn. So if you, um, if you uh, disown your chametz, you could technically have it around as long as you don't inadvertently eat it. And that's a way of being able to save money so it won't constitute a severe monetary loss for store owners to, um, to basically have to get rid of all the inventories and sell it at a cheaper rate or you have to give it away. They said you can keep it there and you sell it. And it's actually a real sale. And I don't suggest you do this yourself because like you wouldn't sell your home on your own. There are specific legal halachic devices that you need to go through in order to sell your chametz. So fill out the form that we have online. We've been emailing it. It's on the website. Fill out the form and let Shuki know that you would like your chametz to be sold, and we will take care of it on your behalf. Um, so, so you don't have to. And by the way, you can get rid of all your chametz if you want. You can throw it all out. You can give it to someone else. Don't throw it out, especially now. Find a non-Jewish person and just give it to them. Um, but if you want to sell it um, and um, put it away in your home, you don't inadvertently stumble upon it and grab a, um, a devil dog or whatever it is that's, that you sold, and what happens, by the way, if you eat the chametz you sold? You're not only in violation of eating chametz, but you're also, in a sense, stealing or embezzling, technically. Um, we had another two questions. First of all, I want to welcome uh, Elise Rukin. What an honor. Rabbi Ezra Cohen, what are the mitzvot minimum requirements to fulfill at the Seder? And then Erica is asking, during our Seders, how would you recommend discussing the current plague? Ooh. All right, I'll deal with the current plague. First, what are the mitzvot minimum requirements? So um, when you drink wine, um, ideally you should try to drink Rove Coast. You should try to drink, we have four cups, try to drink um, a Rove Coast, which is of um, a Reviet, which is 3.3 fluid ounces. I don't know what 3.3 exactly. If you can't stomach that, then at least Mully Lugmav, at least fill your mouth with the, uh, with the wine, but you should try to drink um, Rove Coast, uh, which is 3.3 uh, fluid ounces of wine. You can use grape juice if you want. You can use white wine as well. Matzah is actually a decent amount. I have the, I have the standard right here, actually. Um, you're supposed to eat a lot of matzah on Passover, especially the night of. The night of Passover, in terms of how much when we eat the matzah, we actually have this on the handout. Another wonderful thing MG has provided you all with is an incredible handout. If you see over here, this is basically how big, this is the actual size of the matzah that you should try to consume. There's two, you're eating for the matzah and then when you do another maror sandwich with matzah, you're supposed to have one for each. It's about this, so it's, it's a little, um, it's about three quarters the size of a, of a hand, of a, a machine baked piece of matzah. I know that's a lot, you try to do the best you can, you don't have to eat it in two seconds, but um, uh, that, that is technically the size. This is an eight by 10 piece of paper, 
It looks as though it's probably about half the size of an eight by 10 piece of paper or about three quarters the size of a typical machine baked matzah. Okay. Um, are you wearing jeans? <laughs> I certainly am. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Ezra. I really appreciate that. Um, you, nobody knows what's going on from my waist down. It's very, very convenient. You can just walk around in your pajamas all day as long as from the chest up you look professional, you know. Now, Erica was asking, during our seders this year, how would you recommend discussing the current plague? And I think actually that's a great question because this is a plague. This is really almost like biblical, uh, what's going on, how contagious this is and how much it's brought the world to its knees. And um, I think we can talk about it. I, 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 don't, I don't think we should get depressed at the Seder, but I do think we should try to find a little inspiration. I just released my weekly Parsha video, just a quickie, it was like a minute long. And, uh, you know, in there I talked about trying to find some inspiration that, you know, we had these plagues, they weren't subjected, the Jewish people weren't subjected to the plagues, it was the Egyptians. But we were subjected to terrible enslavement, terrible slavery. And we are being subjected to something else that's pretty pretty awful today as well. And we have to try to find some inspiration and some hope and some optimism in how much suffering and anti-Semitism has the Jewish people been subject to all these years. And we've always come out. We've always survived. God was always there. V'chol dar vador, we say in the Haggadah, on the night of Passover, in every year, Omdim Aleinu Lechalotenu, God stands up and, he, and, and he, he, he protects us and, and we put our faith in Hashem. I, I can't tell you exactly why this is happening, why the world is plagued by Corona now, but I can tell you that we are meant to grow from every situation, to try to learn how to somehow develop new skills, new ways of dealing with stress and difficulty in life, I'm not saying that's why it came, but once something bad happens, we always ask ourselves not why, but what? What can we do with this? Lima, to what positive end? And I think it's an important thing to talk about at the Seder. What positive things can we learn from our enslavement, from years of anti-Semitism? What can we learn now from being quarantined, right? Maybe it's a certain gratitude that we have for the community. We sort of got a gut punch when it comes to social community and all the beautiful parts of uh, Judaism that are so communally connected, the aspects of Shabbat where we have people over and we're singing together and right that took a real that took a real punch unfortunately now but there are things that we can learn. you know I was just talking to one of my rabbis earlier today and he said something very very powerful. you know he said if we are just if our Judaism is all social and the only reason we come to synagogues is to see other people, the only reason we show up at MG is to because the Cholent is so good, and we're not really coming for the spiritual connection. This is going to be a very, very difficult time. Now, it's going to be a difficult time for everyone, no matter what. Because social and community is a major part of our heritage and our spiritual tradition. But it's not everything. There are aspects of what we do to stay connected spiritually that are just between ourselves and God. And that's what we can continue to observe during the Corona period. We still make blessings before we eat. We still wake up and pray. We still keep kosher. We still observe Shabbat. We still do all of these things that really define our relationship with Hashem. And maybe what this Corona thing is doing is focusing on those aspects that sometimes get swept under the rug 
with all of our focus on community, with all of our focus on socializing. And MG is a little guilty of this. We, we make such a big deal to pull people in, be part of the community. He doesn't want to be part of the community. And then there's something a little vacuous of one's Judaism that's only based on community. Our Judaism should be very personal. It should be our relationship, about our relationship with our Creator. So, so these plagues that happen, I don't know why they happen. I would have to be a prophet and not just a rabbi. And then it would be called, Ask the Prophet. And I'd have much better answers. It's just Ask the Rabbi. By the way, Rabbi Ezra Cohn is on here. He's feeding me questions. But if I don't know an answer, or I think Rabbi Ezra, or Rabbi Ezra, you would like to just weigh in. I want to thank Rabbi Ezra, who works Yomam Velayla, day and night for this organization. He's literally around the clock, making sure that all of our program are going on. He's very happy I just complimented him, and he gave me a couple of high fives. Please feel free. Rachel is here as well. Yael is watching. Ezra Cohn, I am wearing jeans. Jonathan Brody. Yael Sadian, what do you style your hair with? <laughs> Does it contain chametz? Now, that's a very good question. Um, I use a regular kind of um, shampoo. I have a little dandruff, so I've got some dandruff shampoo. I was told um, I shouldn't use it all the time. But I have a little hair gel that I use. The question is, and this is what Yael was really asking, Hey, Jonathan Brody. What about non-food things like hair gel or shampoo? Do I have to be concerned with that there's chametz in that? Do I? And I'm going to give you a more lenient answer because there are different opinions on this. But the general principle is that if something is not worthy for a dog to eat, what's called in Hebrew, ra'ui lachilat kelev, it's not something you would normally feed to your dog, um, so my hair gel, you know, I don't have any pets, but if I had one, I probably wouldn't squeeze some of my hair gel into my dog's bowl for dinner. And therefore, I can put hair gel on, and I don't have to have a kosher for Passover label on my hair gel. Um, so that applies to all cosmetics. There are some people who disagree. I'm trying to give you a little more of a lenient opinion, which I think is 100% reliable. And I'll tell you a great little story. Someone once came to the late and great Rabbi Soloveitchik, you always hear us quoting Rabbi Soloveitchik. And they asked him, uh, a guy came and he said, listen, I have a dog. And last night I fed my dog toothpaste. And, and he ate it. He ate the whole thing, licked the whole thing up. Do I need to have kosher for Passover toothpaste? And Rabbi Soloveitchik looked at his student. And I don't know if he called him an idiot, but he kind of had that attitude towards his student. Like, what are you thinking? First of all, don't feed your dog toothpaste but it's a category. If generally speaking, you don't feed your dog toothpaste or any of your cosmetics or shampoo, then you don't have to worry about whether it's kosher or not for Passover. Now, what if you're eating something? Um, someone asked me actually, um, if it's a medication that you really need and it's a prescription drug, then it does not have to be kosher for Passover, even though you're consuming it, it doesn't have the status of food. Some believe that if it's over the counter, then it could be an issue or if it's flavored. So if it's flavored, you want to try to find a kosher for Passover label. If you can't find one, then call your local rabbi or, or contact me privately. We'll talk it over. Uh, there are probably ways of dealing, there are definitely ways of dealing with that as well. Um, so I, I assume, y'all, that's what you meant. What do I style my hair with? Because what does that have to do with Passover? Uh, what are t three top aspirational goals that one should strive for on the Seder night? Woof. Rabbi Ezra, if you want to weigh in, 
to that excellent question asked by a brilliant MGE participant. Top goals. Well, I'll tell you the simple one. A simple goal is to try to feel, to try to bring one's state to emotionally experience a sense of avdus, which is servitude, which I think because of Corona, we're going to be able to feel a little easier this year. And then also to feel a sense of emancipation, of freedom, of joy, of royalty. And if you notice all the rituals we perform at the Seder, we do both. We drink wine and we lean. Drinking wine is obviously very joyous. And we lean like the ancient kings and queens that used to lean when they ate. On the other hand, we eat this thing called maror, which is bitter herbs to make us feel the bitterness of the enslavement. On the other hand, we eat matzah, which has a little of both. Because matzah was the same food that our ancestors ate in Egypt. Um, and it reminds us, we recall our slavery. On the other hand, matzah was what we were baking. We were baking bread and God said, drop it. You gotta go. That's what, was, what, what we were doing when we were freed. So on one hand, the matzah causes us to think. So one aspirational goal is to feel a sense of servitude, of enslavement, which I say is probably a little easier to feel this year when we're so quarantined. We're not with a lot of the people we'd like to be with. And then a sense of freedom and emancipation. Um, I think another goal, I don't know, Ezra, do you have any other goals? We'll come back to this. Let's see some of the other questions. Um, Daniel Wallach is on with us. Binyamin Kohn, another Kohn, does the youngest always have to recite the Manishtana? Can an older brother do it? Um, you're asking for a friend. <laughs> I love when people ask questions for their friends. I have a friend. Um, yes, it doesn't have to be the youngest. I've been at Seder's and I probably, I'm the youngest in my family and I hated it when I was really little. I didn't like being the center of attention. Some things change. And, uh, um, you know, if it's going to cause like a shalom bias problem in the house, like the youngest, it doesn't have to be the youngest. That's the custom. But if Junior, who's like five years old, I don't want to do it, and it's going to turn him off to Judaism, and he's going to go out and buy a rifle and shoot up the town, that was a bad joke, um, then you can just have the next person in line. Uh, but, you know, you want to try to encourage the kids. You know, that tradition of having the youngest person is always about getting the kids who are less likely to feel involved, more involved. So that's why we give it to the youngest. If the youngest doesn't want it, you can have somebody else do it. You can, Binyamin, you can tell your friend that. Um, Daniel Wallach, Jonathan Schwartz, how can we celebrate with friends and family during this time with social keeping away? You can't. <laughs> I don't mean to sound cruel and mean, but we can't. Right now, I'm not planning on having Seder with my own father. I'm 52 years old. I've never not had Seder with my father. He should live and be well. But I want to have Seder next year with my father. And even though I'm not symptomatic, and neither is my wife or children, are my wife or children, but they say that even if you're not showing symptoms, you could very well still be a carrier. Something like 25% of people who have corona don't really even know it. Um, so I don't really have a great answer. Um, you can celebrate with a few people. You have to keep it a little minimum. Uh, guys, I'm sorry, just keep it down. Thank you. Um, um, 
but we, Rabbi Ezra, myself, and I know Rachel is on the line here, Maya, Shuki, Chani, everyone on staff, we've been working around the clock to provide resources for people that will be having the Seder with not as many people. Um, one of the things I want to mention we're going to be doing, which you might want to know how is this okay, but we have commissioned uh, Rabbi um, Yonah Bookstein, I need to call him later, uh, Blineder, he is a rabbi in L.A., and he is going to Zoom the Seder because he can be in a camera, in a video. It's before Yontif. L.A. is three hours earlier than New York. He's going to Zoom in the, um, the Seder for the first night. And then all you have to do is, if you're alone for the Seder, you, all you need to do is put the uh, Zoom on before the holiday starts. I think the holiday is like uh, 7... Like at seven, I have to get the exact time. Just make sure you put it on beforehand and uh, set it up so that you put stop on your camera and mute on your audio. So you have no video or audio. You can see Yona. Uh, he's an incredible rabbi in LA, very cool guy, amazing like singer and speaker and very charismatic. And just have him do your Seder together with him. And he will be in your living room with you or at the dining room table uh, on Zoom. Just don't touch the, don't touch the, um, if it's your phone or if it's the uh, computer, just don't touch it. Just leave it there and, uh, you know, put it on before Yom Tov. As I say, turn off the, the, the audio, turn off the, um, the video and that should be, and that would be okay. That's one way of doing it. Um, Rabbi Avi Heller suggested a couple of other really helpful suggestions. We're going to be sending out like a one sheet that has 10 ways of doing your Seder alone. Um, but um, our Seders are going to be very, very small this year. MG gets at least 80, 90 people. Rabbi Ezra every year downtown does a Seder for a lot of people. Shuki does it uptown. We're not having that, obviously. And we're limiting our own family, Sadarim, to the immediate families. And I'm sure everybody is keeping with this. And I encourage you to do it. As difficult as it is, it is not more difficult than, God forbid, getting sick. Uh, or, or even if you don't get sick, think about how this is spreading it to other people. We all have to be part of the solution and not, God forbid, part of the problem. So celebrate with your friends and family, but keep it small. And remember, whenever you're a little sad about all the people that are not with you, like I will be with my about my dad, I'm going to remember the fact that this is going to enable us, please God, Bezrat Hashem, to be able to have that Seder together next year. And I'm going to think about all the lives that I'm saving by containing this thing and by being part of New York City, America, and the world that is social distancing to be able to contain this thing so we can put an end and get that curve to start going down and put an end to Corona. That's what you're trying to do. Replace the thought of loneliness the thought of, I can't believe I'm not with so-and-so, replace that with what good you're doing for yourself and for the world. There is no greater Jewish value than Hatzalat Nefashot, than protecting your health and keeping yourself healthy. I just came out with a blog a couple of days ago. It's on my Facebook page. We've been, we emailed it out. It's on the website about how important it is to stay healthy and to try to kick some bad habits that might, God forbid, make it harder for you 
to fight corona if you can get it, if you get it. Like vaping, like smoking. According to a study that came out, believe it or not, out of China. It was in a Chinese medical journal. No, I don't read Chinese medical journals, um, but it was quoted in the New York Post. 1,400 times harder to fight corona when you have, when, you, when, you, when you're addicted to nicotine and you're vaping so often and so on and so forth. So it's really, really important to take care of yourself. Use this as an opportunity to kick some bad habits. Let's see if there are any other questions. Daniel Wallach. Hi, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> and you like taking long parks, long walks in the park, except during corona. What is the status of tahini on Passover? Okay, first of all, what does that mean? What is the status of tahini? Why do you call tahini? That's what I want to know. I got a question for you, Daniel Wallach. It's tahina. Well, everyone calls it tahini. It's not tahini. It's tahina. And what is the status? It's made out of chickpeas. And peas are kidney oat, so we don't eat it if you're Ashkenazi. But it's not really chametz because I don't think it's chametz. I could be wrong. Um, but uh, that'll get us into the question of what's kidney oat. So kidney oat, we discussed it last night in our fellowship, Next Level class. Kidney oat are basically rice, legumes, millet, um, corn, uh, peas, and things that end up looking too similar to chametz itself. Ashkenazic rabbis forbade the consumption of kidney oat. It's rabbinically forbidden uh, because the rabbis were concerned that, it, that it, it, it looked too similar to actual chametz itself. This was only accepted by Ashkenazic jury, this stringency, uh, and therefore if you're Sephardic, um, you can enjoy your kidney oat, but not if you're Ashkenazic, and I think tahina is made from chickpeas, which is kidney oat. Uh, one way, the only way out of this, if you're Ashkenaz, is if you're a woman, uh, start dating uh, only Sephardic men, and if you marry one of the Sephardic men, you can now adopt his customs. Um, and uh, I've actually performed many uh, of those mixed marriages, if you will, uh, an Ashkenazic woman to a Sephardi man. They're always happier because they can eat kidney oat on Passover, and it's also good for the gene pool to mix it up a little. Okay, uh, Jonathan Brody, Corona has brought us closer together as a community especially MGE, so many alumni are now involved in everyday online. I got to tell you, Jonathan Brody, it, it, it's bringing such joy to my heart. As I get older, I get even more nostalgic. I've always been nostalgic. Now I'm ridiculously nostalgic. And Jonathan Brody actually started an MGE alumni chat. And uh, Jill actually just added some new people to it. And we want to, anyone who's on this, who knows any of the MGE alumni, please join us. And join the MJ alumni chat, the WhatsApp chat, um, and continue to learn with us. We have this kind of, you know, people move out, they move on, they find their new rabbi, their new community, which we're very happy. But we'd like to stay a little more in touch with you. And the truth is, this corona thing is, is helping that because everybody's home now. Uh, Dr. David Poppers is in the house. Uh, Erica thanked me for my answer. I really appreciate that. Uh, David wants to know, is that really what Yoel is asking? Yes, Yoel wanted to know about my, uh, what kind of product I use. Uh, you know, you gotta be prepared for all sorts of questions, Dr. David. You never know. And uh, the reason it was a relevant question for Passover is because the whole issue as is to whether or not cosmetics require a kosher for Passover label, and my answer was no, unless you feed them to your dog, and I really discourage you from doing that. 
Uh, Allison. Allison, I want to give you shakach to Allison. I missed your class, Allison. I heard you were amazing and you had a beautiful group. Thank you for your continued love and support and teaching. You and Kevin have been amazing during this time. I'm loving also Kevin's daily uh, WhatsApp group. Um, Rachel wants to know from our staff, do you get new toothpaste for Passover? What about milk and meat toothbrushes? The milk and meat toothbrush sounds really disgusting, Rachel. I got to tell you, I would not mix meat and milk on my toothbrush. And I would refrain from brushing your teeth with meat or milk. I would use toothpaste. I want it to be a little funny. So, Rachel, uh, even if you don't need a new uh, kosher for Passover toothpaste, the custom is to buy, get yourself a new toothbrush or a new toothpaste roll because uh, if you had, let's say, uh, chametz in your mouth and you brushed your teeth, maybe it somehow got into the toothbrush. It's really a stringency because it probably wouldn't be considered food anymore. It's all mushed up with the toothpaste and disgusting within that toothbrush. I mean, it's just gross thinking about and talking about this whole thing, but it's a very good, legit question. But I grew up, my mother of blessed memory always bought us new toothbrushes for Passover. And because we wanted to start off clean and not take any chances. It's kind of a good example of something that probably you're okay if you leave your old toothbrush and your old toothpaste. But if you're gonna do that, clean it off, wash it off, make sure there's no food or anything left in your toothbrush, I would encourage you to do that any day, but certainly before Passover, if you don't want to replace it. Uh, and the toothpaste also, just squeeze out the last piece, just in case you didn't have any food on there, clean off the edges a little, and you can use the old tooth uh, brush and the old toothpaste if you want. This, that's actually a relevant question because we want to do as little shopping as possible. So who wants to go to CVS? Nothing against CVS. I love the guy at CVS, he's my friend but I haven't seen him in a while because I won't go into that place now. Alana, pleasure to have you, Alana. Mark Klein, my friend, buddy. What's up, man? Thanks for joining. Um, hope you and your family well. David Poppers, can an Ashkenazi eat kidney up? Asking for a very close friend. <laughs> I gave my whole spiel about kidney up and you and your friend, Dr. Poppers, unfortunately cannot eat kidney up. One thing else about kidney up that I didn't mention is that it is mutar bahana'a. Unlike chametz, where you're not permitted not only to consume chametz, but you're not allowed to have benefit from chametz. What's an example of getting benefit from chametz? Feeding it to your dog. Can't do that. You're, it's not like I care that my dog is eating kosher. You don't have to feed your dog kosher food. Dogs are not Jews or people. That's really what I meant. Um, I didn't mean to insult your dog. But... You can um, give your dog, because, the reason you can't give your dog chametz is because you're not supposed to have benefit. And you are benefiting from being able to give your dog uh, whatever food. But there's no prohibition of benefiting from kidney oil, just eating it. So you can feed your dog kidney oil, even if your dog is Ashkenazic. <laughs> even if you have a German shepherd. You know, Ashkenaz actually means German. So a German shepherd, an Ashkenaz dog, it's kind of funny. But you'd have to have a Sephardi dog. And it doesn't matter. You can feed whatever kind of pet you have, kidney oil, just not chametz. Um, Erica, can you share that Seder information? Sounds great. Uh, the Seder information I just shared before, we're going to be getting it out there very soon. We don't have it yet. Um, we are still commissioning Rabbi Yona Bookstein, um, uh, but hopefully the next day or two we'll get that information to you. Excellent question. Mark Klein, he will. Okay, thank you, my friend. Michael, 
is watching. Rachel is watching. Tahina are sesame seeds. Oh. Tahina. Why can't we say cha? I thought it was chickpeas. Okay, it's still a problem. Sesame seeds also kidney out. So it's the same status, just from a different food. What is the significance uh, of four at a Seder? Oh, good question. Someone put that in. Why is there so much fours at the Seder? Now, one of the reasons four is very important is because it's the, there are four expressions in the Torah for redemption. That there, that there are four biblical expressions to God's redeeming the Jewish people. What are the fours? Let's go through them in the Seder. Four cups of wine. You've got the four sons. You have, what else that's four? Anyone else want to throw anything else that's four at the Seder? Well, there are ten plagues. Four sons. Four, oh, four questions that we asked, the Manishtana. The kid, whoever asked the question, has the four questions, the Manishtana. Good. So four is a very, very significant number. For Rabbi Ezra, you want to weigh in at all about the significance, the spiritual significance of number four. Um, hold on, I'll get to your question in a minute. Yoel, um, any suggestions uh, for Chol HaMoed? Now, this is important, so everyone is aware. The holiday, and we talk about the holiday, we're talking about like Shabbat, except on a Yom Tov, like Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot, the three festivals, it's like Shabbat, except you can cook from a pre-existing flame, and you can carry. You don't need an Arab. So that Yom Tov starts Wednesday night, and it runs all the way through Saturday night. It's called the three-day Yom Tov. So Wednesday night, Thursday is day one, Thursday night, day, uh, Friday is day two, and Friday night, Saturday is day three. Then you have the next few days, Sun, Saturday night, Sunday is Chol HaMoed, Sunday night, Monday, and Monday night, Tuesday. Three days of what's called intermediary days, Chol HaMoed, which is kind of more like a weekday. It's part of the holiday of Passover. We still refrain from eating any chametz, but you can drive in a car, you can operate electricity, you can use your cell phones and all that fun stuff. And then we go back into the second days of Yom Tov, which this year will be Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday. And Chol HaMoed is exactly what it is. It's kind of a hybrid. It's Chol, it's the weekday. It's not the holiday in the sense that you can't operate electricity and uh, engage in any of the forbidden uh, labors, but it is still a Moed. It's still part of the holiday. So we, we keep eating matzah. Uh, there isn't a special mitzvah to eat matzah like on the night of the seders, but we refrain from, uh, from, uh, from eating um, chametz, we still continue to recite special prayers during Cholomoed um, uh, that, that reflect the nature of the holiday. We say Hallel every day. Um, I think I just thought about this actually. Rabbi Ezra, if you can put a note, I think we need to make a little cheat sheet of what prayers to say on each day of the holiday. That would make it really simple for our participants, um, at least just the morning prayers every day. Yom Tov versus Cholomoed. Um, I think that would really be helpful for everyone. Um, so suggestions for Cholomoed, I think, Jonathan, a lot of people go away, <laughs> they go to the park, they do fun things during Cholomoed. This is going to be a different Cholomoed. What can I tell you, man? Um, if you go out of your home, practice social distancing, 
And maybe this year we spend a little more time studying and learning. We're going to have some programming during Cholomoed. I'll be teaching. I'm going to continue to teach my lunch and learn during Cholomoed. Um, we'll be having classes at night. Cholomoed, I said, is Sunday night. It's Saturday night, Sunday. Sunday night, Monday. And Monday night, Tuesday. So I'll be doing my, um, my lunch and learn Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And Rabbi Ezra and I will talk to see what other maybe night programs that we can offer. Um, okay, Aaron thinks I'm being mean about the toothbrush. I understand. I hope I was, I hope I was not insensitive about your toothbrush. Yol Sadie wants to know, how, we can, how can we find God if we are alone on the Seder night? You want to know something? Yoel. You know about this, Yoel. You can find God often easier when you're alone than with other people. One of the reasons why we sit separately when we pray is to dial down the social noise, right? Rabbi Ezra has a beautiful explanation that I always quote, so that everybody feels a little alone. You walk in there with your family, you sit with your significant other, it's sort of your security blanket. No, when you pray, you want to feel vulnerable. When you're alone, the Hasidim talk about doing what's called hitbodedut. Hitbodedut is a certain personal meditation. My son Yosef, who, by the way, you're all welcome to join tomorrow morning at 8.45 in the morning, there'll be a meditation. Meditation can be done alone. Hitbodedut is a, is a very Kabbalistic and Hasidic kind of meditation that is done in serenity, not in serenity, in solitude. Uh, a lot of the Hasidim would go out to the fields and just find a place to be alone. I saw a great um, shtisel segment. Any of you shtisel lovers out there, it's a good time to get into shtisel if you got Netflix. And uh, a group of Hasidim went out to the fields, to the fire somewhere in Israel, and they spread out, and they were just talking to God alone. So you can find God alone, and sometimes it's easier to find God alone. Uh, obviously, Everything in life is balance, and Judaism is also about being part of the community. But it's not just about the community. I touched about on that earlier. Um, okay. Um, watching Jonathan Brody, will you be teaching online during the middle days of Passover? Yes, I answer that question. I will be. Uh, yes, and we don't put tefillin on on Cholmoy. Now, some people do. We don't put tefillin on Cholmoy, generally speaking. I happen to have a custom to put tefillin on on Cholmoy. And uh, every year that I do this, I feel like I'm more and more alone. Uh, but my father tells me that his father, my Zadie of Blessed Memory, puts filling on Cholomoid. I don't say a blessing on it, I, but I put them on. But the general custom is not to wear tefillin during Cholomoid, because it's the aspect of Moed, which is a holiday, and we don't put tefillin on the holiday. Um, but it is still a weekday, that's why you'll see some people still doing it, like my own family. Um, Having a sheet of prayers would be very helpful. Okay, you got it. We're going to work on that. I appreciate that. Ezra Kohn, um, are you allowed to look at bread? You can look at bread on Pesach as long as it's not yours. I don't know why you would need to do that. Um, maybe you're just so attracted to bread, you can't, you can't handle not seeing bread for so long. You could look at bread as long as it's not yours. You're not supposed to come into contact with your own, with chametz. Uh, with your own chametz. Now, you'll say, well, what do you mean? What about when I sell my chametz? You can even just leave the chametz you're selling where it is. Just put a big piece of paper around it that says chametz, with like a skull and crossbones, so nobody comes, you don't inadvertently take it. 
But you could look at it as long as you don't come to eat it. That's why we usually put it out of sight, so you don't inadvertently remember. It's not like keeping kosher versus non-kosher. Because non-kosher food is always not kosher. So we're used to, when you go kosher, staying away from non-kosher food. But on Passover, we're staying away from food that we eat all year. So we may just, by accident, inadvertently come across it and eat it. So we recommend not to look at it, not to see it, to have it off to the side, even if you don't own it anymore, so you don't inadvertently take it, and then put like uh, something on it that says chametz. But technically, if you saw it, it's not a problem. It's not a prohibition. Um, why all the questions? <laughs> it's an Ask the Rabbi session. Aaron, new, new, new rabbi. I mean that chumrah about the toothbrushes. It is a chumrah. It's a total chumrah. Chumrah means like an extra stringency that if you'd like to take upon yourself, great, but you don't need to. And I think the toothbrush is a good example of that. Ezra Cohen, what is the meaning of afikomen? Afikomen is Greek for dessert. Yeah, bet you didn't know you had a Greek word in your Haggadah. There, it, the dessert, it's supposed to represent the Paschal offering, the carbon Pesach that was brought in the temple. Every family would eat the leftover meat from the Paschal offering during the temple times. And it was supposed to be the last taste on their mouth, which is why the afikomen, which is this piece of matzah that you broke off from the middle piece at the early part of the Seder, and we play a whole game, hide the afikomen, should be the last thing, the last taste in your mouth before you go to sleep at night. What is freedom to a Jew in quarantine in 2020? Whoa. Uh, welcome Sarah Schiffman Klein. What an honor and pleasure. What does it mean? And Jody Teicher, what an honor. What does it mean to be free in quarantine? I'll tell you what it means. It means that God is giving us a way of being able to feel what is often very difficult to feel on Passover. You know, I go to these fancy hotels every Pesach, not because I'm such a fancy guy, but I'm scholar in residence in uh, some of these hotels, and unfortunately, they've all been shut down. And uh, that's another loss of income for the Manhattan Jewish experience. Rabbi Ezra, if you want to put on the link for anyone to make a donation, uh, I haven't seen that link in a little while, it would be helpful, uh, because we could use whatever support uh, that we can get. Uh, because I usually raise a lot of money in these hotels from a lot of, thank God, well-off Jews who are there to celebrate the holiday. And I always wonder, how can people feel a sense of slavery in the Waldorf Astoria in Florida, you know, in like Orlando or wherever we are in Boca Raton or in, uh, uh, you know, uh, in Miami where it's so beautiful. So I, I think this year we've got this quarantine that's going to, that's going to allow us to feel a little more imprisoned, a little more Mitzrayim. The word Mitzrayim, by the way, Egypt is not just a place on the map. Egypt, Mitzrayim means Meitzar, it means closed, when we feel imprisoned by something. And we know that imprisonment um, is not simply a physical reality. Imprisonment is a state of mind. If you saw Shawshank Redemption, you know you can be in physical prison, but free. And you can be in freedom, in Times Square, doing whatever you please with a million people and still be enslaved to your own passions and desires and vices. And that's what freedom to a Jew in quarantine. It allows us to understand that we are still subject to a lot of enslavement. We may not feel that way, but now we're feeling it. And therefore, we should it should cause us to ask ourselves, what's really enslaving me? What is keeping me 
enslaved to my own passions and desires and to the things that are, you know, I told you last week somebody came and he said he threw out all of his vaping. He felt like he was a slave to this terrible habit of vaping. We're all slaves to some really bad habits. One bad habit could be, I just keep speaking ill of other people. Another bad habit could be that I, um, oh my God, I can think of a million bad, poor habits. That's what it means. This physical quarantine that's making us feel like this should cause us to look inside and to realize that we can be freed. Even if we're physically shackled and we're physically isolated and quarantined, we can still achieve freedom because freedom is a state of mind. Let me ask you a question. How do the great sages who wrote this Haggadah, who lived during the Roman period, and they were living under the oppressive Roman yoke, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Lezer, and Rabbi Tarfan, and all these rabbis, how did they write a book about freedom when they were living in enslavement? Because enslavement is a matter of the mind, it's a mental state. It's not simply physical. And that is really a very, very important idea to talk about how we can get through our, the things that really enslave us. And I would say, too, that one of the great themes, and Rabbi Ezra and I have spoken about this a number of times, I was talking to Shuki about this before as well, gratitude. There's so much about gratitude in this book, in the Haggadah. We sing the song, die, 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 and we say, if God had done this, it would have been enough. If God had done that, it wouldn't have been enough. It's a little insincere, because we know it wouldn't have been. We want it all. We want Hashem to, to do this, we want Hashem to do that. But by breaking it up into small pieces, we recognize every expression of goodness, of benevolence, of God to the Jewish people, and we say, thank you for this, thank you for that. And I'll quote Rabbi Ezra again, because um, he made up a lot of these questions. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but he, uh, he always likes to say that when you go to someone's home, you don't just say, thank you for the lovely dinner, that's more like Emily Post etiquette. Real gratitude is you break it down. Pick one thing that you really enjoyed about the meal. The chicken was delicious. Where, did it, where can I get that recipe? And that is a much more profound way of expressing gratitude. There's so many expressions of gratitude as well. And maybe being quarantined with some people recognizes will enable us to feel gratitude for the community we don't have. For MGE, maybe we take MGE a little for granted. We all do a little our synagogues, our teachers, you know, maybe just being kept apart a little, we can learn to appreciate it that much more. Um, uh, Jody Teicher, welcome. Aaron, what about families this year that can't buy things for Pesach? And I don't know what you mean by things. So there's a lot of stuff, Aaron, online. Um, and uh, MGE again sent out a couple of really important emails and we have it online of all of the stores and places that you can just call up or go online and order stuff and they deliver it right to your door. So I'm not exactly sure what you mean specifically, um, but uh, somebody called about oil. Jill gave her a place where we're buying our kosher for Passover oil. Somebody's called about wine. There are plenty of places to get stuff that are still selling. Um, so please check the lists because it's out there. Uh, Sean Levine, what a pleasure. Ezra Cohn posted um, a link, facebook.com, connect, help you connect. Okay, good. These are things to help you with a Seder, and I also think it's a link for perhaps to donate. Rich Mansour, oh, pleasure. Oh, Richie Mansour. I watched you play the guitar the other night on your Facebook. Uh, Richie, you're amazing. I love listening to you play music. You're very talented. 
Maya has been watching. Marshall, Marshall, oh, hey, Marshall, what a pleasure. Jen Minsky, how are you? Jessica Joy, I'm just going through this. I know it sounds like romper room, or I like to think of myself as a Peloton coach. You can do it, Jessica. Ezra Cohn, what is Shmur Matzah? Okay. There are two types of matzahs. It's the regular stuff. And I think there'll be more people eating the regular stuff because it's harder to get Shmur Matzah this year. But there is Shmur Matzah out there. Shmura, Lishmur means to guard. And there's a debate in the Talmud, in our oral tradition, as, as what time, when do you have to start guarding the matzah so that it doesn't ferment? Right? What is matzah and what is chametz? Matzah is any one of the five types of grains that you that comes into contact with water, but not for a certain period of time. You cut it off before 18 minutes. Chametz, by the way, is just the opposite. Chametz is anything of those five grains, wheat, spelt, oats, rye, and barley. Wheat, oats, spelt, rye, and barley. And anything that allow, any of those five items, the five types of grains that comes into contact with water for 18 minutes or more, and it ferments, that's called chametz. That's absolutely forbidden on, on the holiday, on Passover for the whole eight days. We sell it, we get rid of it, we do all these things. And what's so interesting is that that's the same stuff that we use to make matzah. The only difference really is time. Time is such an important factor for becoming a free person. The first mitzvah that God gave to the Jewish people is a chodesh hazer, rosh chodeshim, that you can be the master of your own time, which is something a slave cannot do. So shmur matzah is watched from an earlier period of time. Shmur matzah is watched from the moment it is cut in the field. From the moment the wheat is, is harvested in the field, there's someone watching it to make sure that it has not come into contact with water. Regular matzah has been watched and guarded, but not from as early enough of a period. We usually try to have shmur matzah, at least for the seders. Uh, if you can't get shmur matzah, don't beat yourself up. You can use regular matzah for the seders, but it is preferable if you can get hold of it. And the, the other real difference is about $15 a pound because it's much more expensive. Um, Okay, that's Shmur Matzah. Thanks for your thanks of my Torah. You're welcome. Why two seders in America, one in Israel? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, I'm tired. Okay, so we have two seders in Israel. Uh, in America, not in Israel. It has nothing to do with seders, but it has to do with the holiday. Because I mentioned before that we create our own time. And in temple times, the way that the calendar was created was by two Jews going into the temple and declaring that the moon was full, it's a new moon. And that was the new month. And then you would figure out when to celebrate whatever holiday that fell out in that month. But there was a problem because the Jews living in the diaspora needed to find out, like Jews were living in Babylonia, in ancient Babylonia. And how would they get the message from Israel where they determined the calendar to the Jews who were living in the diaspora? So they actually built these fires and you can go with a good archaeologist in Israel. They will show you where the pits were. We know where they were, where the fires were made from one place to another place to actually relay this message to their brethren in basically in ancient Babylonia. And there was a delay. They didn't have email or texts. There was the delay and they weren't sure. So the sages instituted that Jews in the diaspora observe for Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot, not one day in the beginning and, and end of each of these holidays, but two it's called Sveka de Yom, and that's why we have two seders. You're all thinking, well, why don't we just change it? We don't have the calendar like that anymore. We have a fixed calendar. That's a whole other discussion which has to do with 
um, our fealty and our loyalty to not uprooting pre-existing rabbinic legislation unless we have a bait in a Jewish court of at least the same stature. And we don't. So we're, in a sense, stuck with some of those uh, laws. Now, Emily is asking, in the Torah, are there words on how to navigate fear? How to get to know the other side to freedom? No fear. I know Passover is about freedom, how to break out of our enslavement. So there are a lot of very important exercises. Really good question. Wow. Emily is asking, what kind of exercises can we engage in to be able to break out of, uh, you know, it depends what the fear is. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in psychology and Judaism, and there's a lot of crossover between Judaism and psychology. So there are a lot of methodologies within psychology. And within the Torah itself, um, I would say faith and believing in a higher power and putting a little what's having not only faith, but bitachon. Faith is just more of an abstract thing. Bitachon means trust to learn and to develop trust in Hashem so that we don't worry as much. Because you can only worry over what you can control. And there are certain things that we can control. I'll tell you, right now, we can control how we socially distance ourselves. That's the only thing we should be worrying about right now, because guess what? We can't control anything else. There's so many things out of our hands. And if you learn to place your trust and your faith in Hashem in those areas where you have no control you will be a much happier person. Now, that's not an easy thing. That's a lifelong process to learn how to have what's called in Hebrew, bitachon. In Israel, security is called bitachon. Um, it means having a secure kind of path in life because you know that there's a being out there called God who's looking out for you. We believe that Hashem wants the best for us and that everything that happens in life, even sometimes the difficult challenges, are all there to grow us in some kind of trust and faith in Hashem. That is going to help in a very, very important way. Uh, we're going to try to do more classes on bitachon and more classes on emunah. It's extraordinarily important mida, important trait to be able to develop because otherwise you worry. And if you think that everything comes down to you and it's all about what you do, and if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. And I suffer from this a little. Rabbi Ezra and some of the others who I work with knows this then that is going to cause you to worry a lot about things that you can't even control. And it's not the reality. The reality is that Hashem is behind. And it's one of the great messages of the Exodus because it was God who took our ancestors out of Egypt. They needed to do their part, but we believe that Hashem will do His. Um, there's a lot of fear in the world right now. 100% Emily. And that is one way of combating it. Maxwell is, uh, Max Cutler is on with us. Um, Thoughts of, what if I get the virus or if my loved ones do? Okay, that's a real fear. And that's a really legitimate question. So I think it's important, first of all, to talk it out. And if you're really feeling anxious about getting it, um, or if a person has it, recovering from it, then first of all, it's extremely important to arm yourself with information, to watch some of the news, but not too much, about what you should do to keep yourself healthy. Very, very briefly, when you walk outside now, it would be better to walk with a mask, to not walk with, within six feet of anyone, and it, to wear gloves um, before, before touching any surfaces, um, and, uh, and to keep yourself healthy and strong. We talked about some bad habits that prevent people from having the immune system that they, that they need, that we all need right now to fight this if we get it. 
Think about what kind of, how can you make yourself healthier? How can you make yourself stronger so if you get it, you can fight it off easy? It's a very, very small percentage where it could really become dangerous. We're seeing a lot of those cases, unfortunately, and, and, and they're freaking us out, um, you know, but, but we have to understand it is happening to individuals with underlying issues or elderly, and, and that doesn't make it any better, of course, but uh, we, we shouldn't think this is some sort of pandemic that is going to just, God forbid, kill us all. That's not what is happening as awful as it is, and not to, God forbid, downplay it, because um, I know people that have passed away from this, unfortunately, and I've been helping uh, and trying to help counsel people throughout this ordeal. Um, but I think it's important to talk about it and to process it and don't hold it inside. Um, call up a friend and maybe some therapy might be in order. You might need to call a professional and a therapist and really discuss it. Uh, and the MG rabbis are here for you, the educators, all of us, um, uh, and our wives are here to uh, be helpful to you uh, if you're feeling very anxious about this, we would love to be of any help as well. Uh, what is Shabbat HaGadol? Rabbi Ezra is asking, the big Shabbos, that's this weekend. Join us tomorrow morning, 8.45. Yosef is going to do a little pre-Shabbat meditation. 6.15, we're going to do an awesome um, Kabbalat Shabbat into candle lighting. That's going to be right here also at 6.15. And then Saturday night, 8.15, we're going to take out Shabbat beautifully with the Havdalah. Shabbat HaGadol is the Shabbos before Passover. It recounts a very important miracle that God told our, the ancient Israelites, our ancestors, to take the Egyptian God and to slaughter it publicly. And they did this and nothing happened to them. The Jews were safe. And that was a great miracle that's recounted on Shabbat HaGadol. And it became called the Great Shabbos because rabbis traditionally give these big lectures to prepare their community for the upcoming holiday, lots of rules and laws. And that's how it became the big Shabbos because the rabbi gave a big sermon. Um, you won't be getting one from me, but again, this is the Thursday night Ask the Rabbi session. We're doing that in lieu here. Um, if you have any other questions, please email E. Cohen at Jewish Experience. Thanks for your great Q&A, Rabbi Ezra is saying, and Rabbi Joshua Klein just joined in as well. Wow, this went fast. Um, this was a whole hour. Woo! Um, any other questions or comments? By the way, I just mentioned one other thing. Since uh, Rabbi Klein, uh, Rabbi Joshua Klein is on the line, we were trying to help as many people get ready for Passover. So if you would like to sell your chametz, which we spoke about earlier, please be in touch with Rabbi Joshua Klein. Uh, Joshua K. at jewishexperience.org. Joshua K. at jewishexperience.org. Um, and he will send you the form to sell your chametz, you can get it online, just let them know you're doing it. And also the night before Passover is the night where we search our homes. It's Tuesday night, because Passover is Wednesday night. Tuesday night, go around, look for wherever you uh, perhaps left chametz and um, put out the 10 pieces of bread just to make sure you don't take God's name in vain, in case you did a good job cleaning your home. And uh, you only have to look where you might have brought chametz. So if you don't bring food into the bathroom, which is a good idea, then you don't have to clean your bathrooms or check the bathrooms for food. You just check the areas of your home where you might have chametz and then uh, put it all together. You make the declaration, the verbal declaration of ownership, of, that it's ownerless. All of that is in the packet here, the verbal declaration. And then the next morning, um, we're gonna, you burn the chametz or if you don't have a place to burn it this year, you can flush it down the toilet or just throw it out in the public domain somewhere outside of your home. 
and uh, you can do the second verbal um, declaration of ownerlessness as well. Um, okay, we're going to close up here unless there are any other questions, any other comments, any other questions. Wow, we had a lot of people join here. Really amazing group. Um, I hope you all have a beautiful and beautiful Passover. We're not over. I'll be teaching a lunch and learn tomorrow as well at 12.30 if you'd like to come back here. Lots of commercials here. And um, I thank you for participating. I want to thank Rabbi Ezra for um, bringing me all of your questions. I'm sorry we didn't have the panel this time. Next time we could try to do an Ask the Rabbi panel. I think that would really be, gay, be great. You only get this way. You don't just get my uh, particular perspective on things, but I hope you enjoyed and I hope this gives you a little strength, a little insight, a little wisdom as to how to get uh, prepared for Passover in a very strange year. And I want to end with a bracha to all of you and to all of those uh, who have contracted Corona. They should be blessed with the Refuah Shlema, uh, one of my rabbis and teachers who has it. Uh, I want to, um, Ben Fega, um, I want to just dedicate some of the Torah to his zechut for his refuah shlema and to some of the others in the neighborhood. I don't want to mention names out loud, but uh, um, it is really an honor and a pleasure. And uh, my blessings to you and to your your wonderful families for a sweet Passover. And that's the last question I will answer. What do you greet someone on Passover? If you were to pass someone six feet away on the street, you yell to them, Chag kasher v'sameach. May it be a kosher and happy holiday. Or in Yiddish, a little more Hamish, we say it should be a zisin Pesach, should be a sweet Pesach. And even those of us who are a little more alone, we should use this to connect and feel a sense of redemption, a sense of freedom from what constricts us. Um, have a beautiful zisin Pesach for you and your families, and we'll continue to see you more many more times, please God, between now and the holiday. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.